Well, we're going to read the Scriptures together. We're going to read a passage that we're going to refer to later, or John's going to refer to in a moment or two, and it's from John chapter 10. So, our Bible reading is from John chapter 10. We've looked at these verses a little before as we've been journeying through these really important doctrines. John chapter 10, we're going to read from uh, verses 3 to 18, and then down from 27 to 30. So, 3 uh, to 18, first of all. This we remember is God's Word. It's page uh, 1076, if you've got a pew Bible. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And then we go down to verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen. Well, this evening, please do open your Bibles with me. The final point, perseverance of the saints. We will continue our foundation series. We'll move on to think about other topics, but tonight we'll see the end of the the five points. Some books, I'm going to leave these books out on the the front of the the communion table here at the end. You can uh, take a look at them. Uh, John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied, really, really helpful for thinking uh, about these points. This book here called, and you'll notice it's been chewed by the dog. Ben managed to get his hands on this, and he's so keen to read about Calvinism that he devoured it on me. Uh, Humble Calvinism by a guy called J.M. Matters, really, really helpful, really warm, 
uh, a really convincing, uh, a really, really helpful book, and then the two that we've been recommending as well throughout, The Doctrines of Grace and What's So Great About the Doctrines of Grace. I leave them there. Uh, please do take a look at them uh, this evening before you go. So we're thinking about the perseverance of the saints, and these are common questions that Christians ask. What will happen to me when I die? Will I make it to heaven? How can I be sure that I am saved? How can I know for certain that I will be with Jesus after I die? And what is my assurance based on? Questions all around our eternal destination. Will we make it there? And tonight in our church family, there will be people on one side who are absolutely riddled with doubt, who seem to never have assurance about where they're going or who they are as a Christian. And then on the other side will be those who have this fake sense of security. All is well. I don't need to worry about this. I'm going to make it there. Well, tonight, by the time we work through, hopefully you will be able to chart a middle ground with me through those two polar opposites. So what is our assurance based upon? Is it based on the fact that I have a time and date in my Bible when I prayed a prayer at a meeting? Is it based upon an emotional experience that I had one night at a mission when I put my hand up or whenever I walked forward? Or is it based completely on the Father predestining me Jesus coming to live and die to save me, and the Holy Spirit drawing and applying these things to my life. Well, I trust we'll see that it is that final option as we work our way through this evening. We're going to see two things, and the first, the first point will come up on the screen for us here. The preserving hand of God. The preserving hand of God. Whenever we were all younger, I'm sure we all had this experience where we were about to cross the road. And what, are, what did our parents do? Well, they, they grab us by the hand and they say, don't run out. Whatever you do, don't run out. Take my hand so they can lead us across the road safely. Now, whenever I was a little boy and I was holding on to my dad's hand, whose hand was stronger? Was it my hand or was it my father's? And you see, what happened if my tiny hand happened to lose its grip? Would his hand lose his grip? Well, no, it wouldn't. I was safe in my father's hand. He wouldn't lose grip of me. He wouldn't let go of me. I was safe in my father's hand. And if you have John 10 open before you tonight, you'll see the exact same image that is used. Now, there's no road and there's no oncoming traffic or 40-foot lorries, but the same image is used, that we are in the father's hand and that we're in Christ's hand. And so what could be more important than this? To know this as a Christian, that we are safe and secure in Christ's hand, whose hand is in the Father's hand. And the Bible tells us here, verse 28, that no one, no one will snatch us out of the Father's hand. We are eternally secure. And so our salvation, our assurance, is not based upon us. It's not based upon our grip, but fully and completely on the Father's. And so as we start to edge our way into the perseverance of the saints and think about this doctrine, the question that you might have for me is this, John, can someone be saved and lost? Well, the answer is no. Not if they are truly converted. The truth is that all those who are united to Jesus Christ will persevere in Jesus Christ 
to the end. Not because of their strength, but because of God's keeping hand. The problem is, though, whenever we hear the perseverance of the saints, if you're like me, what do you think of? Well, you kind of think of it like an athlete or some incredibly-minded military person who has this incredible stamina, and it's all based upon our effort, our energy, our resolve. That's our default position as we start to think about this doctrine. But if we pause this evening and we think about it a little bit more, the other four points that we have looked at, aren't they all to, do about, all to do with God and what He has done for us, His work in saving us? So it's not that God saves us as we work through the other four points, and then we get to the end and He says, well, look, you just make your, your own way to glory. If you get there, you get there, and if you don't, you don't. God comes and He saves us completely, and He will not leave this journey to chance. God goes before us, behind us, all around us. He leads us there safely by the hand. And so, John 10, verse 3, we're referred to as sheep. The sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name, and He leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, now what will happen? Well, verse 10, the thief will come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Verse 12, the wolf will come. But look at verse 14. What does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 28, I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What's going on here in John 10? Jesus identifies His sheep as being given to Him by the Father. These are the sheep for whom Christ dies. He dies exclusively for them. And then the Holy Spirit calls and draws them, and no one will snatch them away. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, now we know this experience, again, as we grew up, we know the experience of going out somewhere with our parents and getting lost. Perhaps it's in the supermarket, perhaps it's, it's maybe in a play park, and panic and fear descends upon the child. And as the child, we are hopeless, we are helpless, we are wandering like little, little vulnerable sheep, aren't we? But our parents, they're the ones who come to find us. They search for us, they come looking just like Jesus does. If the lost sheep, he finds the lost one, he puts it on his shoulders, he carries it home to illustrate that he will not lose any of his own. Now, sometimes we think that this doctrine is all about us. What if we lose our salvation? What if we don't make it? But here's what that guy J.A. Matter says in his book. He says this, he says, God never loses His kids, ever. He's got hold of His children, and He does not lose His grip. And so tonight, for you, if you're a Christian and you struggle with assurance, you need to know this, 
that God will not let you go, that He has you in His hand. He who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. And so it's not about what you have done. It's not about reading your Bible enough, giving enough, living in this constant state of fear. Have I done enough or have I not? Have I sinned one too many times? Will salvation slip through my fingers? No. Instead, God wants to lift that burden off you, and He places it fully and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ, who promises us that we are secure. So, we've already heard this verse, Philippians 1 verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, one of the, the Puritans writing on, on Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 said this, did Christ finish His work for us on the cross? Yes. Then there can be no doubt that He will also finish His work in us. And so, the perseverance of the saints relies on the promises of God, on His preserving hand over His children. If you've got your Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and, and verses 39, you'll find this really helpful. Just to, to go to other places in Scripture so that we can see this for ourselves. It's really important. This isn't uh, just an isolated theme in one part of Scripture, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, and it's throughout the pages of Scripture. But Romans 8 and verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul is writing there about something that has yet to happen, but he's so sure of it for those who have been called and justified that it will happen. And then scroll down with me to verse 39. Paul says this, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a little like the John 10 illustration. Nothing can separate us from this love. Now, sorry to make you move about in Scriptures tonight, but come with me to another place, John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and again, this is a really helpful part of Scripture for us. Jesus this is praying in the garden, the high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 12. He's talking about those who have been predestined. John 17 and verse 12. Jesus is speaking and He says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And so, what do we need to know tonight? Christian brother and sister, what do you need to know? God will bring to completion the salvation of the elect. The sheep will hear His voice, and they will follow. 
Now, if you're relatively new with us as Presbyterians, one of the really helpful documents that we're based upon is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And sometimes we refer to the Westminster Confession of Faith because it's so incredibly helpful. And tonight's one of those occasions. Here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says in this. It's just beautiful. It says, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutable, that means the unchanging will, the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit, and the seed of God within them. In other words, we are held in the Father's hand. This is not us. It's not our energy. It's not what we do. It is God's hand upon us. And then a little later in the Westminster Confession, it'll come up again, chapter 17, a little bit before this, sorry. It says this, they whom God hath accepted in His beloved, effectually called, and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Isn't that good for us to know? Christian, this is not inside of us, but this is in God's hands. Will we sin? Yes, absolutely. Will there be doubts that come into our minds? Yes, there will be. But remember this, we are justified by the work of Jesus in His life and in His death. And so in the the moments that we think, I won't make it, or I'm a failure, or I've messed up again, or I'm not good enough, what do we need to do? We need to stop, and we need to look again at Jesus Christ, because Christ is our confidence. We are united to Him, justified in Him, saved and adopted. And so what this doctrine should do for us is this. It should encourage us to be telling ourselves the gospel again and again and again, trusting in Jesus and not ourselves. And so there's the little phrase that we know of, once saved, always saved. That's helpful for us, but even better than that, once in Christ, always in Christ. Once we are united to Him, that cannot be broken. Once saved, always saved. But once in Christ, always in Christ. So our good shepherd will not lose any of his precious sheep. Now you may come back at me this evening and say, John, well, that's all well and good. I hear you. But what about the people who who have made shipwreck of their faith? They once professed Jesus, and now they're absolutely nowhere. We all know people like that. Well, that brings us to our second and our final point, the perseverance of God's people. The perseverance of God's people. I want us to be really clear on this now this evening, that those who are truly saved by God's grace will persevere to the end. The statement, once saved, always saved, is true. But the question is, what does it mean to be saved? That's where I think we go wrong in this. You see, the doctrine doesn't mean that everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus will be secure for eternity. 
because Jesus himself sets a criteria for that. So again, turn with me to John chapter 8. It's really helpful to see this for ourselves. John chapter 8. What does it mean to be saved? To know Jesus? John chapter 8 and verse 31 through to verse 32. Jesus says these words, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See what the criteria is there? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And so often I think this is blurry in our minds. Whenever it comes to salvation, what do we do? Well, we look for the, the proclamation that someone says, yes, I am a Christian, and we almost put the rubber stamp on it, signed, sealed, and delivered. And what we don't look for is the proof. Uh, to put it another way, what do we look for? We look for that moment in someone's life rather than the evidence of change. And so tonight we want to clear the, the theological overgrowth, and I want you to turn with me to one more passage be able to do this. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We, we've been here again. Nigel hopefully read it for us already. Colossians chapter 1. Because we've got we to discern in our minds, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a Christian, a true Christian? Because remember the question, what about these people who have made shipwreck of their faith? So Colossians chapter 1 in verses 20 through to 23. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, and blameless, and above reproach before him, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Verse 23, if, if indeed you continue, we, we know this, don't we? It's the parable of the sower as the, skeet, as the seed is scattered. One grows up well and brings the harvest. One grows up in the thorns and is choked. And so let's make it clear tonight that to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ means that He will do something in our heart. That's what we were thinking about this morning. What happens with Saul? He is amazingly converted and transformed by God's grace to be Paul. And so it is in each of our lives. If we are saved by grace, what does He do? He changes our heart. We are born again. There is a change that comes upon us. We are given the Holy Spirit, and He lives inside of us. And then what happens? We bear fruit. There has to be fruit. And as we are converted, as Nigel preached this morning, what happens to us? There's a change, and then we're included into the body of God's people, and there we serve. And so I think this evening what we need to be really clear about 
is we need to, to banish this fable that, that you just need to go to a meeting, and at that meeting, if you have an emotional response, or if you put up your hand, or if you have a time and date, that that's you into the kingdom of heaven. That is not what it means to be saved. That is not what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been lost and now you're found, if you were blind and now you see, if it was all about you and now it's all about Jesus, then it's not just this one-off moment, but it's the lifelong discipleship, growing in Jesus Christ. So, saving faith will result in a change of your heart, a change of your actions, a change of your desires. Jesus will become precious to you, so precious to you, more precious than anything else. He will be the one that you get your joy from. He will be the one that you hunger and thirst for. He will be the one that you want to serve. Jesus, what can I do for you? And isn't it true that in, in the Western church, what have we began to do with the gospel? We've started to, to change it and, and mold it and, and make it more into this optional add, extra, this add-on thing. What did Jesus say to the rich young man? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus came straight for his heart. He says, sell all that you have, because that was the thing that held his heart. Jesus wanted him to lay down his life to follow him. And so that's what saving faith looks like. Here's a wonderful quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. God does not merely initiate the work and then leave it. He continues with it. He leads us on, directing and manipulating our circumstances, restraining us at one time and urging us on at another. See, God's work with us, changing us, molding us, bringing us into the likeness of His Son. And so we are confident that God is preserving for His people an inheritance that Peter says is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But we are not complacent then as Christians. The problem is, what do we do with this? This knowledge that we're safe as a Christian in God's hands, will we totally twist it and we think to ourselves, well, do you know what? If we're once saved, always saved, if I'm in, if, if, if I'm not going to be taken out of the Father's hand, well, I'll just live whatever way I want. I'll abuse grace. And that's the exact opposite of what we should do. Run the race we heard tonight. Persevere. Live for Jesus. And the key thing is that this requires daily reliance on God. I remember being in a class at Union College, and we were thinking about this subject, and the lecturer said to us, he said that, how do you know that today, if you willingly choose to sin, that this will not be the first day that you turn your back on God and never return? And so, if you sin today, willingly sin, it could be the first day of your rebellion that you prove yourself not to be amongst the elect and therefore rebel against God. Isn't that a frightening and sobering thought for us? 
how serious our sin is. And so our class immediately we descended into lots of questions and, and we became increasingly anxious and we asked the lecturer, well, what do we do? What do we do? How do we know? How do we know that we're still Christians? How do we make sure that we're not walking away? And the lecturer turned and said, you trust Jesus every day. Every day you get up out of your bed and you trust Jesus. Every day it's about Jesus. And so this is the beautiful thing about this doctrine. It gives us great assurance on one hand, and then what does it do? It drives us into Jesus' arms, into our need for Him day after day. What are we doing? Looking to the shepherd as the sheep. Jesus, lead me. Go before me and behind me. Protect me. Keep me. I can't keep myself. And so this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, what does it, what does it combat against? Well, it combats, combats against the, the lazy Christian or that term that J.I. Packer coined, the, the hot tub Christian who, who thinks all's well, I'll just kick my feet up, I'll just jump into the, the big inflatable and I'll let it carry me down the slide. I'll have to do nothing else. I'll not work for the Lord, I'll not serve Him, I'll not give Him my life. Instead, we have to trust Jesus every day, running into His embrace, His presence, and relying more upon Him. Now, another question. Our time's nearly gone, but another question. John, what about the, the backslider tonight? What about the person who, like the prodigal, runs away from the Father? Well, that person tonight is in a dangerous place, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. 1 John chapter 2, 19. See this distinction? People who appear like they're part of God's people, but they're actually not. And so tonight, if you are a backslider, you may be proving yourself not to be part of God's people. Instead, you may be proving yourself to be part of those seed that is scattered amongst the thorns, that it grows up and is choked. But if that is you tonight, if that strikes fear into you, thinking that your, your life and who you are, that you're not part of God's people, well then tonight, what do you need to do? Just like the prodigal, you need to run back to your father. You need to run back to Jesus. You need to fall down in repentance tonight. This is tricky for us to, to think about, but it is true that those who have been saved by God's grace will always persevere to the end. And so, one commentator says this. He says, sometimes the regenerate do backslide. Sometimes they fall into gross sin. But in this, they act out of character. God's child acts out of character. They do violence to their new nature. They make themselves deeply miserable so that eventually they seek and find restoration to righteousness. So for us, as we draw to a close, as we try to apply this into our lives, 
perseverance of the saints. This, this is tough. The Christian life is tough. We know that it is on this road of discipleship. But tonight we need to know that God's hand preserves us. We are in His hand. He goes before us. He's the one that leads us. But as we persevere together, we need to persevere with one another. This time last year, I started, well, this time last year, I finished my running phase, but a few months beforehand, I started running, and I was running with a friend of mine, and the two of us would go and we'd run around Armagh, and we'd run in various locations, and if I wasn't out with my friend, it was so much easier to give up. But with a friend running side by side, it's so much easier to keep going. And so for us as a church family tonight, can I encourage you to keep being here? To keep being with your brothers and sisters. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so for us on this road of discipleship, it's vitally important for us, week after week, that we are in this room. If we are physically able to be here Sunday after Sunday to encourage one another, and that's why whenever you sit with each other here, and come along to meeting after meeting, that it actually is worthwhile to invest in friendship here, properly investing, so that we can encourage each other along this road, persevering to the end. Not just in, in surface-level friendships, but in deep friendships. Asking somebody for their number and saying, can I, can I grab a cup of coffee with you during the week? Can we go for a walk? Can we have two or three or four families over for a meal? Praying together, serving together. So friends, don't lose heart. Let's keep going. Keep encouraging one another because we are almost home. This doctrine, it comes as what? I trust tonight it comes as a loving embrace for you if you're struggling as a Christian, if you're deeming yourself to not be worthy, that you hear these words of Jesus and it comes to you as an embrace. Or in moments of anxiety that, that the knowledge of this doctrine will bring you peace. And in the frantic moments of emotion that this doctrine will do what? That it will grip you and that it will cool you to know that your justification is settled, done and complete. And that Jesus says, I have you. I've shed my blood for you. I've spread myself around you to shield you from all harm. In the words of Psalm 91, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Jesus says to all who have repented and believe, you are mine and I am yours. And so Jesus says to you, if you are a backslider, come back to Him tonight. Return to Him. And to those who have not yet trusted in Jesus, what does He say? Well, He says, this assurance that we've been talking about, the one thing that escapes the world, that it has no assurance of, the afterlife. If you want it tonight, what does Jesus say? He says, come. Repent and believe, and you can have this peace, this peace that passes all understanding. 
friend, tonight the reality is simple. Without Jesus, we will spend an eternity separated from Him in hell. But for those who trust and believe in Him, we will dwell with Him forever. I trust tonight that that will bring you great joy.